Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. Good morning, guys. It's great to see so many bright colours down here on the floor where our young people have been uh, hearing from God and putting out the expressions of their heart on the floor. My son very happily came up to me and told me he'd drawn his hand, um, which is a big step for him for my son, which is really great. I think there's times, aren't there, where we, we have to take a moment, like we've done this morning a couple of times, just have to take a moment and just dwell. You know, God says, be still and know that I am God. And sometimes we need to be in that place where we're just still. We know who he is. We remember what he's done. And we rest in that place, just like we have in worship this morning. Sometimes it's good to take stock of things, isn't it? Take stock of um, the Christmas season, Christmas Day, and all the run-up to it, all the the craziness that goes with it, and and the great fun that it is. But this time of year is a good time to take stock, to be still, and know that he is God, and um, to hear from him to see what it is that he wants to say to us about the year ahead. Um, Most of you know me. My name's Craig. I head up the leadership team here at BFC. Um, And uh, I've been having a great Christmas. Has everyone else had a good Christmas so far? Yeah, Yeah, some good stuff going on. Um, Break from school. say that for the younger people in the room as well as the teachers because there's loads of them. And they're all having a, a, hopefully all having a good break as well, whether they're teaching in the UK or in Japan. Um, <laughs> um, it's really good to take a break and take a pause and consider what we're doing. So we've got Christmas, we're heading towards New Year. You know, we don't have to remember those. We don't have to do those things. We don't have to celebrate Christmas on Christmas Day. We don't have to celebrate New Year. Uh, it's not a biblical requirement. But seasonal change is a part of the biblical narrative. It's part of um, what made uh, God's people, um, continues to make God's people, it shapes their lives. It shapes our lives. We're all affected by the change of seasons, by the counting of years. You know, in the the Old Testament, there's, um, there's supposed to be what they call a Sabbath year every seven years. And it was every seven years... Um, that those people who'd lent money to, to other people in the, in, in the people of God in, in Israel, um, every seven years, debts were expected to be cancelled. If you'd lent to help people, you'd cancel the debt at the seventh year. And it t- talks about this um, where it says, like, if you're approaching the seventh year, don't not help someone. Don't think, well, if I can get through the next couple of months without helping them, then I won't have to cancel the debt when the seventh year arrives. Um, and uh, so there's these seven years, and they lived on these seven-year cycles. Um, and in the same way, each year, each seventh year the, year, the fields were to be left fallow. They were left open to allow the land to recover from all that's happened. Um, they weren't to plant new crops or anything like that, live off what, what was naturally produced. Every three years, tithes, food tithes from the third year were brought to be stored in the town so that the needy, including the priests 
and the foreigners could eat and be satisfied. Every 50 years, the people were supposed to celebrate the year of Jubilee, where all land in the nation of Israel was to be returned to those who it was allotted to. And all those Israelites who had sold themselves for slavery were to be released in the year of Jubilee. If they couldn't pay their debts or whatever, they could sell themselves to another Israelite um, to, to, to work for them. And they were to be released on the 50th year. And I think it sounds like a great thing, you know, the, the opportunity for a, gen, a generational reset every 50 years. You know, recognition that so, things might not have gone right in the past 50 years, so here's a new start. You can, you can start again. And I think that's a wonderful gift of grace. It's like, you don't deserve it. If, if you've got things wrong in the past 50 years, it's like, you know, you don't, you don't deserve things to be made afresh, but every 50 years there was supposed to be this opportunity for that grace gift to be given. And sadly, though, it doesn't appear the year of Jubilee ever actually took place. Um, and uh, we find its fulfillment in Jesus. But the passing of years, although not something required to, of us to honour or even pay particular attention to, has always had an impact in biblical history. And as created beings, we are all too aware of the passing of the seasons and the impact that they have on us. You know, we are again at the point of entering a new year according to our calendar. So what are we going to do with it? The new year is an opportunity to think about what we're going to be doing in the coming year. You know, as an example, I've been reviewing my, our family finances this week. I've been looking at sitting down on the computer, drawing up a spreadsheet that Sue gave me the other year and uh, through CAP and, and stuff like that. And I know others will be doing the same. You know, I've started doing it at this point in the year because I think Sue does, your, you do yours this time of year, don't you? And I've spent a lot of time in the past couple of years with Sue in the office, and she's rubbed off on me, and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get better at looking after my finances. Uh, so I know there are other people doing the same thing. You know, we've been looking, Karen and I have been looking at our plans for the year ahead, our, our holidays, and you know, we've been planning some holidays in. We've been looking at the house and thinking, there's loads that needs doing. Um, you know, but all of us, you know, might have school trips to pay for. There might be changes in family. Uh, family circumstances, might be moving house, buying new houses, you know, all these things that are big changes for us. And this is a good, the new year is a good opportunity to review all of that. Yeah, maybe now's a good time for you to do that if you haven't before. Maybe now's the time to consider a cap course. You know, we run a cap course as a church and it's a great way of looking at how you're handling your money. And um, just uh, people, say, people have said recently, you know, oh, I've got money in the bank. You know, for the first time in however long, I've got money in the bank because I now know where everything's going. I know what's happening with it all. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a great resource we have as a church. Um, and please do let me know if that's something you're interested in. You know, as a family, we've had a, a, a change in income since we last reviewed our giving. Um, and so we're looking, into, uh, looking at our giving towards God's work at BFC. You know, as a family, we, we like to be generous. So, you know, without counting decimal places, we aim to give 10% of our gross income because that seems generous to us. And we've got used to living with that giving, so now it's time to reassess it. You know, we use that 10% as our baseline giving because it's a nice round number, and we continue to look for other opportunities to be generous in our church family, uh, in this community, and beyond. You know, personally, we don't count, I don't count our 10% giving uh, to, to other charities, we do that on top of our, our baseline giving. We support a compassion child, uh, and that doesn't come out of our 10%. Maybe it's time to consider your giving fresh as we enter the new year. We'll be having a couple of giving Sundays this coming year, um, 
and uh, you know, good opportunities regularly to consider your giving. Um, if you are sitting there stirring slightly on the inside, wondering Craig's talking about money and I don't like it, Jesus spoke about money about 15% of the time that he said things. And that equates to a couple of times a year. So we're doing a couple of gift Sundays to talk about giving a couple of times a year. Um, and as it comes up from time to time, we'll speak about it as well. Um, it's a good thing. It's a good way of worshipping God is to bring our first fruits to him uh, and set them before him to use as he wants to use them. So this morning, looking at refreshing, starting new things, um, I've got a couple of book recommendations for you. This isn't a regular Sunday. I've got a little bit of um, you know, preachy stuff to talk about, but also got some book recommendations as well. Um, because they've really impacted me this year. They've, they're helping to shape our church vision moving forward. Um, may I ask that you pray for me and Neil on Thursday. We're meeting to talk about and try and head towards finalizing our new church vision on Thursday. Uh, it'd be really great if you pray for us um, as we do that. But one of the key things for us in this, in this uh, new vision season is looking at church community, looking about who we are as a church and what real community looks like. Um, you know, we always talk about us being a family church, uh, and the family nature and feel of BFC is one of the most important things that identifies us as a church. It's sort of one of our um, unique points. Um, and when we think about the community of church, often we'll jump to Acts, Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 46, and we... And try and find out what exactly what that means. Um, in context, it says this from verse 42 onwards, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their, num their number day by day those who were being saved. Verse 46 is day by day attending the temple courts together and breaking bread in their homes. Another place you might jump to is Acts 5, verse 42, and it says, And every day in the temple from house and from house to house, uh, and in their houses, some translations say, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the Messiah, is Jesus. Community seems to be a core value of the earliest forms of church. Meeting together in the temple and in homes, eating together, worshipping and praying together, proclaiming Jesus the Christ or the Messiah together, reminding each other of all that Jesus has done, serving the needy together and learning from the word together. When we think about community, we might also want to look at the sort of gatherings that Jesus had with his disciples. He had a group of three that he gathered with in Peter, James, and John. He had the 12 who were the broader disciples who he equipped and sent out. And as well as that, he had the 72. We know that as well as the 72, he also gathered thousands who would hear his message. Remember the feeding of the thousands, repeated story. Different levels of relationship focused on one leader one Messiah, one gathering of people made up of different groups. In the thousands, we find seekers. In the 72, we find a closer relationship. Obviously, the difference between a relationship with 5,000 people is very different to a relationship with 72 people. So in the 72, we find a closer relationship. And then in the 12, we find much, much closer 
relationships. You can know 12 people to a much greater depth than you can know 72. And in the three, or four if you include Jesus, we find those most intimate relationships, those closest friendships. The ones where if they disappear from your life have a massive impact. Interestingly, we also find the time of Acts. We find that believers were meeting in different group sizes as well. In the Jerusalem church, as recorded in Acts 2 and 5, um, we find that they'd meet in the temple as well as in homes. You know, it seems like they'd meet in homes in smaller groups as well as in the temple in a larger gathering. How the local church developed as the gospel spread throughout the Roman Empire, we actually don't really have a clear idea. Acts kind of tells us the story of churches being planted, but it doesn't tell us much about how big these churches were and how they grew and how they developed. But it does seem clear, though, that churches often started in homes. And as gatherings grew, they'd meet in the homes of the wealthier people in the church, because, probably because there was more room, they had bigger houses. Um, but Acts doesn't really go beyond that sort of gathering. And that's, that's not to say that we shouldn't meet on a larger scale like we do on a Sunday morning. Because the way the Jerusalem church did things early on in Acts gives us a good picture of smaller gatherings that met in a larger context as well. They met in homes and in the temple. We know that Jesus too gathered three as well as the twelve in different contexts. And it would seem reasonable to assume that he gathered the seventy-two in other contexts as well, depending on what he's trying to do, depending on what the point is of that get-together. Different contexts for different things. Each context with its own uses, but no contexts of less importance than the other. And in church life, we need each of those contexts. We need the intimate gatherings of the, th- the three or four. With those closest brothers and sisters, where we can get supported through the hard, chi- hard times and challenged when we need it. It's much easier to take a wound from a friend, isn't it, than it is to take it from some random bloke at the front. We need a home-sized gathering as well, you know, where we can encourage one another. We can proclaim who Jesus is and remind one another of the realities of how Jesus being who he is impacts us and equips us to live as he's called us. And finally, we need the temple-sized gathering where we can really celebrate together the goodness of Jesus in worship and hear the word preached together. And the wonderful thing about the temple time, where they're gathering in the temple and they're all, all there gathered in the temple among loads of other people. Yeah, it wasn't just the, the, the new believers, the followers of the way, those who have followed Jesus. No, they're in the temple. They're in a public place. They're in a place where everyone around can hear what they're saying. There's a reason the early church got in trouble. It's because they were up there preaching that Jesus was the Messiah and people could hear it. It wasn't hidden away. You know, our Sunday mornings should be the place where people who don't know Jesus are able to hear of him and meet him themselves without fear or judgment. Sundays are the place where we gather corporately to worship and hear the word preached to the full. But we gather in a way that is open to those who don't know Jesus. You know, some Sundays are like that temple time where we encounter God and others get to see and hear the reality of what's happening People get to see spiritual gifts outworked, a cry of praise that comes through the middle of, of worship. Um, 
a new direction in where we're going in the morning. Gifts of tongues and prophecy and pictures and words and scripture being shared. That's what people need to encounter when they come in our midst, come to be in our midst. Sundays are the time when we encounter God and others get to see and hear the reality of what's happening. They get to see spiritual gifts outworked, outworked in an ordered manner. But if that's your only experience of church, if the Sunday temple time is your only experience of church, you're missing out on a whole load more of the fullness of what church is supposed to be. Meeting in homes and smaller groups is a key part of church life. It's where we do the day-to-day living of the Christian life. It's where we get properly encouraged by good leaders and where we do the reality of living with Jesus together. It's where we remind one another of who Jesus is and how that impacts us, proclaiming to one another the salvation we have in him and what that means for our lives today. It's where we get our frontline pastoral support as well. If we need help, the first people we go to are our hungry leaders because they've been appointed to look after a small group. It's good to lean on those people who are there. You know, let me encourage you, please don't make excuses to make church a Sunday thing. Make it relational. Make it real life lived in community. And you can't experience that to the full in a group of 100 or more. We need to commit to closer relationships that exist beyond the walls of a Sunday morning. And in light of that, I want to recommend a book to you all. Um, Dan, John and Claire's home group have been going through it as a study in their weekly meetings over the year. Uh, it's a great book um, and it's by Francis Chan and uh, I just want you to watch the introduction video if it will work. <coughs> You'll see. There's him in the river. Hi, I'm Francis Chan. I want to tell you about a book that I just wrote. It's called Letters to the Church. And I called it Letters to the Church because when I was done writing, I just thought, this does not feel like a book. It feels more like just what I want to say to everyone after being a pastor for 30 years in America. Thinking through like, gosh, we've strayed so far from what the Bible calls church. And it was a, it was a letter where I just thought, man, I, I just want to get us back to what we see in this book. We, we all know it. We all know like what we're experiencing right now is so radically different from what is in here. I mean, in fact, right now, I'm standing in the Jordan River, and I'm thinking about what was it like in the very beginning when John the Baptist was here, and he's talking about this one who is coming, and, and, and how we're, he wasn't even worthy to untie his sandals, just the holiness, the understanding of how sacred God was. And I think I look back at my life, and I think of all the times where I treated the church as so common. Like it's just another thing. And then I'm, I'm reading in Revelation and I'm, I'm looking at how Jesus speaks to the churches. And his message to like five out of the seven churches is you better repent or else. You better repent or else. And you know, you just get to an age where you think, I have got to take this so seriously. 
That was one of the strongest warnings ever written, the book of Revelation, of what will happen if we don't get serious about the things of God. And so my heart in this book is not to judge or anything else. It's just looking back at my life and looking back at the way we did things. And I just wrote it thinking, okay, if I were to die tomorrow, and go, what would I want to say to everyone from what I understand of this book and what I've experienced in the church for all of these years? And there's just a sense of urgency. Man, it's, it's like if my wife was in ICU fighting for her life and I was out golfing or whatever else, and something would be wrong. And we have to understand, when we talk about the church, we're talking about the bride, the bride of Jesus. I mean, just like you would expect me to be at her hospital at bedside going, doctor, save her, take my lungs, take my heart. Her health is more important than me. Like, that's the way we've got to be about the church. Man, so many people have gotten frustrated because the church is unhealthy and they just leave her. And man, you understand that this book is about how Jesus is going to return one day. And you and I, we can't afford to just go about life and not care about his bride. When he returns, I want him to find me just giving everything I've got to bring health to the church. And that's what this book is about. My hope is that you also will see the need to just repent from this casual attitude and treat the church as sacred again. As you can see, the book's actually been out a little while now. Um, put hand up if you've read it already. Yeah, there's a few hands up. I've read it. It's great. Um, <coughs> it's, uh, yeah, let's, Letters to the Church and... Um, definitely worth a read. You know, the context that Chan writes this, uh, paints this book in is excellent. You know, he says himself that this isn't a book to beat your church leaders over the head with, which I really appreciate. Um, but it raises some great questions and paints a great picture of church community in the smaller setting. You know, it's written from Chan's experience. Francis Chan, he, he, he was in this mega church, he was in this mega church in the States. Um, and there was this problem of consumer culture, where people would turn up in church on a Sunday morning to consume, to be fed, to have the best, best bands playing the best music, hearing the Bible preached in the way they wanted it preached, um, in the way they liked, and they'd pull the preacher apart if they didn't, pre if they didn't preach the way that they liked. Um, and so this is the sort of context he's writing in. And... Um, I think he misses something slightly, and I'll, I'll, I'll caveat reading the book with this. I think he misses out on the temple side of church, on that size of gatherings. I think it's something we're supposed to do. I think we're supposed to have this. Um, I think it is a key part of church life, of our Christian life, is to have church on the bigger scale. Um, but everything he says about community is excellent. Um, every chapter in this book is full of gold, and it's worth finding it. Um, even if I, I might miss, think he's missed part of the picture out. Um, you know, if people are interested in getting it, I'm happy to get some copies and we can lend them out or you can buy them. Um, just let me know, just email me uh, and CC Visha in, otherwise it won't happen. Um, but please just let us know and um, we'd love to get some copies. I'd love for the whole church to be reading this book this year. 
um, the earlier the better. Um, you know, our challenge is to build a church that maintains real fellowship as it grows um, through people being saved and added to our number. And Francis Chan's book will help us ask the questions that we need to ask to help us step forward as a church into new vision and direction as we look at our mission and so on. So what about mission then? Well, Jesus gave his disciples the mission that the church has had ever since. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, as Matthew 28. So I've spoken a bit about how we should do the gathering of church, um, but how, what about how we reach people with the gospel? You know, it's not just about meeting people and having a good time with them. It's about making disciples. That's what we're called to. It's not just being friendly, nice Christians. It's about making disciples. And sometimes that is drip-feeding kingdom values into someone's life until the day comes that they realize there's more to this, more to life than this. And sometimes it's a moment of immediate realization and change, and we need to be ready for both of those. If we think about Jesus and where he was to be found during his ministry years, we might think of his encountering the Samaritan woman in the middle of the day at a well. Or when Jesus was around at Zacchaeus' house for dinner, eating with the tax man. We might think about Peter and John walking to the temple, past all the people who were lame and seeking alms, begging for money. Um, and they came and they healed this man who was born lame. We might even think of the demonized girl at Philippi harassing Paul before being set free from the power that was over her. In all these situations, Jesus and the apostles were where people were. We need to consider, are we where people are? Billingshurst Family Church is a church that exists to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus. We have Billingshurst in our name because Billingshurst is the community that we're here to reach. You know, let me say that we absolutely want to see BSC folk reaching people wherever they work or live. Um, in any situation that any of us find ourselves in, we want to see the kingdom going out in those places. But primarily, BSC is here to reach Billingshurst and the surrounding small villages with the gospel to see people coming to know Jesus through us. So I have some questions for me and, and all of us to consider. How are we reaching this community? Are we meeting people where they are? Are we even where the people are? Are we at the pub? Are we in the football teams? Are we at the school or preschool gate? Are we engaged in our community? And are we proclaiming Christ in all those places by the way we're living and speaking? Are we living his way in those places? We need to lead our lives alongside everyone else in our community so that everyone in our community has the opportunity to encounter Jesus through us. We can't shut ourselves away in our holy huddle, pushing people out and expecting anyone who does manage to get in with us to conform to our expectations at first meeting. Sundays are not the time for challenging non-Christians on how they're living. Sundays are where we corporately and extravagantly worship God in song, spiritual gifts, and the preaching of the word in the witness of those who don't yet believe so that they might have the opportunity to discover this relationship with the almighty eternal one 
Father God, for, them, for themselves. Sundays aren't only about the church gathering, but also being open for those in our community to hear the message of Jesus and to encounter a worshipping people that they might encounter Jesus for themselves. So we need to consider our mission. If Sundays are about worshipping God and hearing the word preached and seeing gifts exercised, what about our broader outreach? You know, we need to ask ourselves, what do people around us enjoy? What do they love? What do the people at Billingshurst love? What matters to them? What issues are there in this community? Are we helping to resolve those? Are we helping to bring people together? Do people think we love Billingshurst, or do they just think we're here to use them and get money out of them, or to trip them up, or to challenge them, or just be difficult with them? Do people really believe we love them? You know, we, need to, we need to really love our community, really care about it and the things that our community cares about that we can align with. You know, I see BFC as a bridge in this community. We're here to be the place in Billingshurst that gathers people from every background across this town, across this village, to be the bridging device that brings people together who likely would never come across one another in the normality of day-to-day -day life. We can already see that in our gathering this morning. And I love it. I think it's great. There are so many different people here from so many different sorts of backgrounds, doing so many different kinds of jobs. I can think of so... You know, I, I was blessed to be a gas engineer for 12 and a half years, and I met all sorts of people. Um, and maybe that's part of the reason why I'm here. Maybe that's part of the reason why I'm, I've been called to, to be the lead elder in this church. Because I want to see people, all these different backgrounds pulled together where we are moving forward as one. Because that's, that's what the body of Christ looks like. It's people from all different backgrounds, all different scenarios coming together to worship Almighty God. Do you want to see more of that? Yeah? You know, we're supposed to be representative of our community, and we need people from all different backgrounds. We need the poorer, we need the managing, we need the wealthier, we need engineers, managers, carers, bin collectors, and tax collectors, because all, the, all those sorts of people live in this community. And this church is the place for them. We are the people who can truly be the bridge between all different people, as well as being the bridge or instrument that leads them to Jesus. We have one mediator between man and God, the man Jesus Christ, but we can point people to him. A couple of years ago at West Point, uh, there's a guy speaking called Donnie Griggs. Does anyone remember Donnie Griggs? Few people do. He was a big bloke with a massive beard. Um, I did have beard envy. Um, and he leads a church in North Carolina uh, called One Harbor Church. And at the time, they had a church over a couple of sites of about 1,000 people. Um, which you think, that's a pretty good-sized church, a thousand people. Does anyone remember what the population was of the town that he lived in? 10,000. Had a church of a thousand in a place of 10,000 people. 10% of the population was in his church. You know, Billingshurst is en route to go beyond 10,000 at the next census. Probably a fair bit beyond, considering the house building. We're probably already there or beyond it. I think that's amazing. And, you know, and One Harbour Church is now over 1,700 strong. In the past few years, they've grown massively. Still in a place of 
10,000 people. Can you imagine if we grew to the point that we were reaching those sorts of numbers? You know, and I, I know some people hear numbers and they go, oh, it's all, it's all he cares about is numbers. How many people are on the ticket sheet every week? It's not at all. We care about numbers because it's number of lives that have been impacted and saved through encountering Jesus. You know, I'm happy to lead whatever size church God has given me to lead. But as a church leader, my heart can be nothing else but to see people saved. Saved through encountering Jesus. You know, we don't exist to be a country club. We exist to show people and lead people to the knowledge of the love of God. We want to see people saved, disciples made, and disciples going on to make disciples. So to set our heart for this community, for our community, I encourage all of us to read Donnie's book. It's called Small Town Jesus. Uh, it'll be there. There it is on that side. Um, it's a really simple book. It's really thin. It doesn't take long to read. Um, he isn't an English scholar. Um, it's written from a, in a very genuine, um, simple way. Um, and it's a great, paints a great picture for loving and reaching people in a small town as well as giving a great philosophy of ministry for a small town setting. And you know, if God's doing this work in North Carolina, I wholeheartedly believe that he can do the same work here in Billingshurst. I was saying to Rue earlier, John Fever, who is uh, an elder here and now lives in Midhurst, and helps with the site there in Midhurst, once said to me that if Billingshurst is a town of 7,000, as it was at the time, then he didn't see why we couldn't have a church of 10% of 700 people. Well, I love that dream, except our dreams now have to be bigger because our, our town is bigger. And our church should grow to be bigger by seeing people saved and added to us. In January, we're hosting our Alpha launch at the Blue India Curry House. The Alpha has served us brilliantly in the past, but I really want this year to be our biggest year ever because I want this to be the year that we see more lives transformed by meeting Jesus than we've ever seen before. And so, you know, what can we do? What can we do with this? We spoke about community. I've spoken about um, reaching people on our mission. So often these things start in the place of prayer. You know, let me encourage you to get along to our weekly and monthly prayer meetings. Our half night of prayer is just in just under two weeks. You know, the prayer meeting is the place where the stuff happens. Um, where we encounter the intimacy of God together and seek his will when we bring our petitions to him. You know, making getting along to prayer meetings a priority in your life this new year might be a really good thing to do. I really would encourage you. When me and Karen came to BFC, um, I was living in Loxwood when we, uh, when we started coming to the church. Karen was living in Horsham. Um, and so Billingshurst was a nice middle point for us. Um, and when we got married, we moved to... Ashington, and we found very quickly that being outside was difficult for us. But the one thing we did, one of the main things we prioritised was the prayer meeting, because we could see that's where God was moving. It's where stuff was happening. Um, it was it was absolutely our favourite meeting to get to, and uh, it was a way we knew that God was really working in this church in this place, um, and uh, that hasn't changed. Our prayer meetings are my favourite meeting that I go to. Um, because there's, there's a genuineness to it. There's an earnestness in prayer that's there. Um, so please do join us in prayer.
that we might see growth in these two key areas of church life, a growth in community and in mission. Let's pray. Lord God, I just... I'm just so aware of what you have put us here to do. So aware that it's absolutely, it's so important that we know you, we know who we are in you. But that isn't, that's the first step in some ways. It's, it's not the be all and end all. Our, our identity in you isn't our be all and end all. We're here to reach people with the gospel to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, of people of all nations. To see your message of love, redemption and salvation spread. That's why we're here. We're not here to have a jolly good time. We're here because you've given us a mission to do. Ephesians tells us that you've set the, set, set the work ahead of us for us to do. You've planned what that's going to be. Um, so we don't just... You know, come to a knowledge of you and stay in that place. We come to a knowledge of you and go, wow, what an amazing God we have. And then we step forward from there, always remembering what an amazing God we have. And we step forward from there, Lord, and we, we just go, Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to respond? What can we do, Lord? You've done all this for me. What can we do for you? How do you want us to respond? Thank you, Lord, that we come from that place of salvation, that place of that gift of grace, and move forward from there. It's not about the works to get ourselves saved. It's about doing the work you've called us to, being obedient to you, Lord. So I pray for all of us now that we would be a people of worship, that we'd be a people of the words, and people of the spirit, that we'd be people who gather together in real, real intimacy and, and real love for one another because of you, to remind each other of what you've done. There would be a people who come together in real celebration in our meetings like this. So we celebrate your great love for us and all that you've done, Lord. May we be a people of mission, Lord. Help us to look to our neighbours, look to the, what's going on in this village, what matters to people in this village, and Lord, would you put us there? Help us, Lord, to get past our, the things that are scaring us or worrying us, or I couldn't do that. Help us to get beyond that, Lord, and, and just go and do what you've told us to do, to go and meet people where they are. Uh, to bring your gospel into those places, Lord. So, Lord, as we, as we come to a place of worship again, would you um, just lift our eyes? To lift our eyes, Lord, and behold you, remember who you are and your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.